Hello and welcome to Let the Good Dice Roll, episode 17, where I take my extensive knowledge of anime and uh, turn it into an exalted game. That's fairly accurate. Uh, that's the most accurate statement that I can say for any time that I run an exalted game. Because exalted is anime as fuck. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you on that one. Also, we're doing this because I technically cannot post up any of those recorded sessions, which, by the way, at this point, we are actually almost out of recorded sessions, technically. Yeah, because at a certain point, we just stopped recording. We stopped recording at a certain boss fight that shows up in July. When, uh, right after Brit gets introduced to the game. Oh. Yep. Oh, yeah. That boss Yeah, fight. yeah, I have that. I actually have that on this computer. Oh, man. That was a, that was a good fight. I would love to listen to that. Um, so yeah, so, uh, I know that we're like a minute in, but I'm Brendan, and I'm joined by... Christina! Hi, peoples! And we're going to... So, uh, a real quick thing. I think we said it last, uh, last time, but we did, uh, switch over to Godbound. Uh, we made a lot of, I made a lot of questionable changes to the system, including uh, giving people uh, point buy instead of just going by the stat block, which is probably... We, we learned very quickly that's not a good thing to do. We learned very quickly. Especially that... since uh, I rebuilt everybody's characters and uh, made everybody monsters. Yes, you did make everybody in that game a monster because, okay, so... Godbound works off of a very basic D&D uh, &D, uh, structure. You have your strength, your wisdom, your dex, your con, your uh, charisma. Intelligence. And intelligence. It's it's literally the this, this six basic stats. Yeah, I was just trying to remember if charisma was actually in there or not. It is, because I had high charisma as Storm. Um, so basically it goes off of that, and then you also have your saves, but it works off of... Opposite what I'm used to with D&D, &D, but from what I'm told, it's actually uh, the AD&D system. Are you talking about with the ACs and everything? Yeah, like the that? ACs and everything. Yeah, yeah uh, where that you have to... The, the total goal is to hit 20, and if they have an AC of 1, that adds to your roll. If you hit 20, you auto-hit. And basically your attack bonus is whatever the fuck your level is. The game goes up to theoretically level 10. You also get a extensive, well, if you're playing Godbound, you get a very extensive. If you're playing Exalted, you have a limited selection of words that kind of are extensions of your powers. They basically turned into, like, massive, like, like a single gift from a word was, like, a massive charm tree. Like, your blocking stuff was just fucking pick up nine iron walls. Uh, it, did, did you have stuff to block social? Pick up whatever the social defense or mental stuff. Pick up whatever the mental defense is in, like, passion, I think. There's a couple different ones. It just depends on your flavor for it. Yeah, it, it just depends on your flavor for it. But the weird thing is, is that there is, um, there is a, um, what the fuck is the word that I'm looking for? I don't know. You'd have to give me something to go off of to try and uh, help there, you there, there are There are clearly charms that are... There are clearly gifts that are better than others. Like Nine Iron oh, Walls... Yeah. Nine is, Iron Walls is, is the best. Is clearly the best uh, melee blocking ability. You basically go... It's an instant ability where you go, I use Nine Iron Walls. I, I commit effort and... Or I commit effort for the scene and I'm now immune until my next turn to any kind of melee damage. And uh, so Godbound works off of an effort system instead of essence. But it's 
but kind of the same thing in principle not quite it's it's the same thing in principle but not quite um do you want to explain that or should i Mm. okay uh i'll do like a very bare bones explanation of it because i don't want to go too far into it because i'd like to get to the session stuff so for exalted you have uh, uh, essence you have uh, peripheral and personal and Which we've talked about. We yeah, talked we have about talked that about that. First, uh, uh, so for Godbound, you get effort based off of your level. You can also, with uh, technically experience points, I guess you would say, you could buy more effort with the effort of the word. Anytime that you level up, you Level get, up, that's what yeah. it is, yeah. When you level up, you basically get uh, two points per level. And you could use those points to buy effort of the word, and you get more effort, but or the new, cost... Or new gifts, or... Yeah, I, I, I'm specifically talking about or, effort right now, right. though. Um, so most people have what their level would equate to in effort. Plus two. Plus two. That's what I'm saying, what your level would equate to. Mm-hmm. As yeah. in, like, what that level's effort pool would be. Right, okay, yeah. That's probably how I should have explained it. Um, so when you use an ability that, each, each ability, um, lets you know if you have to use effort, if you commit it for the scene, or if you just, it's just committed till you don't want to commit it anymore, if it's committed for the day, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so you have to kind of balance your effort pool with what you want to do so that you don't run into zero effort. Because once you're at zero effort, you basically cannot defend against anything and you can't use uh, special abilities. Yeah, it just, it sucks. And the pool tends to be much lower than uh, than in, than Oh in yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely lower, but... The, uh, all all of the things that you have, like, and it's only, like, one effort to commit for whatever it is. Right. But, like I said, you can have something that's just commit effort. So you keep that effort committed until you don't want to use that ability anymore, and then you uncommit the effort, it goes back into your pool. If you commit for the scene, while you're in that scene, which is what the, you know, the GM would decide how long that scene is, you have used that effort for the scene, you don't get it back to the scene's end. Commit for the day, pretty self-explanatory. So you have to, it's a balance. Yeah, there's a balance. Also, the HP pool was higher in this case. Technically, most pe- yeah. Because most people in Exalted have like 7 HP, and in this case you all Unless had... Unless you get Ox Body Technique, which I always recommend for Exalted. But in this case, everybody had close to the same HP. More or less, unless you got the, uh, the I think it's a health ability... A yeah, health, yeah, yeah. There, there, there were some, or like an endurance ability that let it's, you up your one, HP. It's one of those. That's um, really but basically, good for like it. everybody was for the rest of the game between thirty and fifty HP, which sounds super low to most people coming in from D anD D. But or even Pathfinder, or even Pathfinder, especially Pathfinder. Pathfinder gets some ridiculous fucking numbers. But for uh, Godbound, it's really not because the max amount of damage that you're doing on most attack rolls is four yeah there are some special abilities that you can get that let you roll stupid uh, amounts of number. stupid amounts of numbers uh i think like, the max that i saw was like 18 at one point uh so like the madness ability the madness just because so each each word has kind of a uh, i don't want to say a passive ability but it's basically a passive ability it, ba- it's just, yeah, it basically by picking up the word you get this like alacrity you can't be surprised right um, but you also get your decks up to 16, and if it's at 16, it's now at 18. Yeah. Um, for Madness, Madness in particular has an ability where if somebody tries to do a mental thing to you, you could basically just give them a backlash, 
and it's uh, I think it's one d six per level. Now keep in mind that uh, a d six equates to between one to two damage. Yeah, there's there's a chart you roll on, and depending on what you roll, so like um, a one, a one, a one it, two, like I think it's four. No, a one is always zero damage. Two to like. Four, I think, is one damage. I don't remember the scale. I don't have it in front it's, of me at the moment. It's two to four is one damage. Uh, five to seven is... Either way, it's zero, one, two, three, four. Or, no, yeah. Yeah, There's... zero, one, two, three, four. And basically, you don't do a lot of damage. It just depends on what you roll. So, it's not going to be a lot. It's not going to be like you're throwing out these crits that are like 30, 50, whatever. But... It's... On the other hand, the way that they kind of balance this is most mortals have between 1 to 3 HP. Yeah, they can almost one hit them. They can get just one Which hit by you anyone. you can pretty much pink miss somebody and exalt it too. That's about it. And then when, we, We've when talked we, about Gobbound before, so it's not when, like... When we come to interesting things, we can totally go over to the table and... Or over to the... Uh, the thing and grab the book and be like, this is why this fucking gift is so fucking cool. When it like specific things happen. Yeah, I also have Storm's Godbound character sheet and Ark's character sheet semi close by since we found my notebook. Okay. So I can always pull that out if we need to for like reference stuff. Anyways, getting into this. This uh, this is our first session where we switched over to Godbound. It was actually on my birthday. And a couple of us were very tired because it was after a LARP event. So This is a problem that will eventually repeat itself. And we decide never to do it again after the repetition. Never to do it again. Yeah. You all will find out once we get to next year's May episode, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, anyways, this one is May 13th, 2018. Starting out, uh, so there's been a little bit of a change in what cast a couple people are. So Wayward is now the Eclipse cast. Talisman is now the Twilight cast. And unfortunately, Jake was not able to be at this, at this session, so Raldo's just kind of fucking off into the ether doing shenanigans like he do. Mm-hmm. Um, and a reminder, Behemoth had sacrificed himself to hold Octavian in place so Talisman could cut a mountain off. So, but he was dead. And uh, Devin's playing a new character named Luminous Arrow, who is a Zenith cast. We decided not to call him Luminous Arrow and went through a couple different names, like Larry or Lumos or Lumen. Because uh, most of us are awful people and just give other people nicknames or just don't want to ever say names correctly. Correct. Because that's just how we are. Yep. We decide to go back to the Bull of the North to talk to him and... Everything like that. And I actually have a note in here that says Julia gets sweepy. <laughs> she gets what? Sweepy. She gets sleepy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, at this point, Julia's... Uh, remember how we sca- said Remember how we said we just got back from LARP? Yeah. Well, also, at this point, Julia's uh, sleep schedule from work was also... Uh, I work in the morning. Yeah, so combined work schedule, LARPing, pl- trying to tabletop directly after LARP. So she kind of... Passed out a little bit throughout this session. So we go and meet up with the Bull of the North, talk to him, let him know what's going on, what happened, shenanigans. He ends up throwing a feast for us, and we kind of celebrate a little bit. He totally used all those gift baskets. I mean, we sent him... That's my headcanon! We sent him enough. Him and, uh... 
uh, Mask of Winter, we sent them enough fruit baskets and shit like that that, you know, maybe they would eventually use it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Percy goes to check on Jibei. Uh, apparently the bronze faction is in control and they're causing a famine in Sunshade. Okay, so to be fair, uh, at, like, I totally forgot about this, but so Percy picked up the knowledge word. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, uh... The knowledge word is... The knowledge word is extraordinarily good, and it basically let him just go, Hey, I ha- I can have any knowledge that anyone who is a mortal has. Well, mortals yeah, omniscient live in- scholar is so good. Well, mortals live in Jibei, so... He knew what the fuck was going on. Mm-hmm. Because I had that same one as Ark. It's so good. You just have to work with your DM on that particular one. So, because it's like what constitutes, you know, a mortal sage and this and that. So, yeah. I guess went to talk to or found out about uh, Vanileth, the god of artificial flight. Yes. Who is a celestial god that lives in the north. He's a crazy person, if I recall. Well, not a crazy person, but you guys, like, I... Did you guys go to him in that uh, one? I believe so. Yeah, we do. We met, met him, I think, in Metagalapa, actually, okay. in this session. So I think we were just told about him, but we haven't gone to meet him yet. We also find out that there is just chaos and strife in Sunshade, Lookshy, and Great Forks, and that everyone is requesting assistance because of it. And so, at this point, I had... Everyone in the region is suffering except for Nexus. So, the reason that I basically uh, made all of this, like, a big fucking deal is at this point, I knew that John and Craig, Wayward and Percival, were moving. So, I had to up the game. Yeah, we just did a I, little I, bit ha- of stuff I had to give them uh, a good, like, fun farewell. Because they actually, and I think about four sessions, or three sessions from this session is their last one. Mm-hmm. Calibration's their last session. Yep. Are we going to do the same thing for another calibration episode? What do you mean? Drinking. We could. Uh, that means we couldn't record it tonight unless all those wine bottles that you guys got me for New Year's are still around. I think that there's like that one big one. Well, I'm not going to record it tonight. Okay. That's too many, because we also have questions. Oh, yeah, we do have questions. Somebody finally sent in questions. We're, we're kind of excited about that. Mm-hmm. So. so the gang decides to split up because why not and go to different areas. Wayward goes to Great Forks. Uh, Storm goes to, I guess, Look Shy and Metagalapa, I think. I know that you went to Metagalapa. I also went to Look Shy, apparently. Okay. As her. So we find out the sorcerers need to learn more than just demonology, because that's all they're doing right now. In uh, Metagalapa? Yes. That makes sense. They were run by a demon. Oh. Oh. So Storm goes to look check. Her informants are in Metagalapa, and she checks in with them. Okay. Because remember, you gave me a system to be able to check in with them. Yes. Like how we have the communication necklaces. Mm -hmm. You gave me basically a wristwatch that I could check in with my... we We slowly built a spy hierarchy for me where I had like basically generals uh that wasn't their names they actually had names for each position but where I had basically generals that oversaw an area and people under them that reported to them and they reported to me mm-hmm. correct so, because why not <laughs> um but she checked in with her informants and found out that Metagalapa was still practicing demonology and they needed to find out other sorcery besides that while Storm went to look shy that's what it was okay do you, do you have any notes in there for what Wayward did in Great Forks? Uh, for this session, no. 
So what the Wayward did in Great Forks is there is a passion charm that lets him basically, um, the best way that I can put it is a self-perpetuating idea into people. It's one of the greater gifts of passion. And the, and the only thing I remember out of Passion was Snuff the Heart's Candle because it was so good. In Passion, there is a thing that lets you uh, basically talk to people and you can perpetuate an idea down the lines of uh, down the lines of communication. So what Wayward did is he met with the three gods of Great Forks and he said... Oh, that's I why I have those written off to the side. I have Tailspinner, Dayshield, and Dreamweaver written off to the side, but no right. context for them. Okay, so now I can give context. So, basically what he did is he met up with them, and then he said, I want you to, like, he basically rolled against them, and they, they made, uh, I think it was like Will saving throws Probably. against him. Probably um, Wisdom. Will. Wisdom, I think. That's well, what it was. So the saving throws for this, it broke down kind of weirdly. Part of me now wants to go and get one there, of my there, sheets. There's three saving throws, and I want to say it's yeah, you can will, be, fortitude, and reflex. Dexter, uh, reflex. It's, yeah. it's basically the Pathfinder saves that are yeah. canon for them. Yeah, it's basically the pa it's basically the Pathfinder or classic. And then you can make saves. and then you can make checks using the six abilities. So right, so they all had to make will saving throws that they all failed on, and what ended up happening was he put it the, into the. Uh, the heads of the three gods of Great Forks, you should rebel against whatever the realm tells you. He does this to them, and they all fail, and he, and basically it's like, hey, you, re you, you should rebel against the realm if they ever try to take control of you. Okay, cool. Well, what this specific charm does is they will tell the people below them, and the people below them will tell the people below them. And basically it goes on to like a thing of like fives, like all the way down. So basically every, so like basically the three gods tell all their high priests and their high priests tell all their priests and their, or their bishops. And then their bishops tell all their priests and then the priests tell all the people. And everybody in Great Forks at least talks to one of those fucking clergymen. Everybody in Great Forks is now infected with this thing. Passion. Passion is disgusting when used properly. Yes. So, your thing and look shy. So look shy. <laughs> All right. So, when we switched over to the Godbound system for Storm, I had taken uh, Alacrity. Knight, because it was the knight cast, so it made sense. And Explain I, what alacrity is. That is a weird word. Um, so alacrity. The stuff you can do with alacrity is a lot of movement-based stuff. It's it's basically being super fucking fast. Yeah, it's... So I had different abilities that, like, I could walk up walls unimpeded. Uh, actually, since... Because we took a small little thing, let me just grab it out, and I can actually read a couple of them to you real quick. Because I was that person who would list out all my shit because I had to. Cause a I good thing thinking. to get into the habit of for anyone who's planning on playing in when I play Exalted again. Yeah, because I, I just, there was so much stuff that it just It's really sense. fucking useful for Exalted when you only have one copy of the, wait, do, we, do you have your copy of 3rd edition? Yeah. Cool, we'll have two copies of the 3rd yeah, edition book around the it. table. I just have to find it. It's in a something somewhere, but I have it. Because I have all, I have all three editions of the core rulebook for Exalted. That's the only okay. like thing I have for Exalted. Okay. Um, 
So for Alacrity, uh, it makes it so you can't be surprised. And one of the, the lesser gifts is called All Directions is One. You can navigate vertical or overhanging surfaces if they were flat ground. You can pass through rough terrain effortlessly. You have an invulnerable defense against being pushed or made to fall. It's a lot of movement-based stuff, and it gets really wonky, but it's really neat. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so Storm start out with Sun, Alacrity, and Night. So one of her night abilities that she had was a called A Darkness at Noon. It was a greater uh, gift for Alac- for Nightcast. Well, it's a greater ability for the word night. And I picked night because it made sense as a night cast and it had some fun stuff in it. Uh, basically, what it let me do at night, the moon is whatever phase I wanted it to be. So Storm went to the General Council of Luxtry. Did you want to explain the General Council? Because I don't remember how much we actually got into them ever before. I think we explained it pretty well before, but basically <laughs> they are... A council of generals that are uh, usually descended from the old generals of the uh, what what the Lukshai city was before it became Lukshai. At some point, I'm gonna grab the Scavenger Lands book and like look up what that used to be. But anyway, what they are is they're kind of they're they're basically the leaders of Lukshai. Yeah, it's just kind of a council that governs over Lukshai. And they're all generals. Yeah. Look shy, being the Switzerland place that it is. Uh, generally, it, it, they are not Switzerland. Uh, no, they are not Switzerland. Not, I, Switzerland's not what I'm trying to say. Um, they kind of take care of themselves more than other places. If you think about it, they kind of do. They like have fortified themselves, and they have all the first aid technology, and they look out for themselves, and really only. But they're also like the main competitor to the big people near them um but they're also like super small compared to the realm but they're still badass because they have all the first age tech there they have the um the war striders and everything i literally cannot think of a actual real world uh switzerland was the closest i had to it but that's not even right the, the closest thing i could think to it would be like um would be like if they were russia during the cold war Except not evil. Wow, that that, so, that sounds wrong. That the Cold War was a very, very interesting time of mixed politics and talking about different things. I'm not going to take a stance on this. Um, it's like that they were Russia and the realm was the uh, NATO, the North American. Sure, let's go with that. T- the North American Total Party Wipe Organization. I don't. Know. I think it was. North American Trade Organization? I don't Maybe, know. Maybe, yeah. Probably but basically... I, I am very bad at history, except for particular points in history. So I'm just going to throw that out there right now. And so nobody's surprised. Was there surprised. a battle? I remember it. Were they not battling? I don't remember it. Yeah, I was more... Re- also, you know, being in America, we kind of get a very uh, skewed, skewed view, view. Of, uh, of world history. That, that, that makes it be like... Hey, here's ancient history. Here's the o- outside ages. of like actual world history. They are run by the general council <laughs> and looks like kind of keeps to itself, but not at the same time. They're very fortified and they know how to work and do shit for themselves. Whether they decide to keep it to themselves or not, whatever. Anyways, so Storm goes to them and like, look, we're trying to fight this man under the waves. 
you guys can't stay out of this. You have to get involved. If you do not side with us, uh, the realm is going to steamroll you right now. And because they have all this shit, and then, like, you have the maiden who just doesn't give a fuck. She just wants what she wants, and she's got this. And basically, it was Storm trying to convince them, side with Sunshade. I used to work for you guys for ten years. I come to you and give a very convincing argument. And they're kind of like, okay, you know, we'll sit and think about it. And there's just, I remember there was this fucking upstart there that was new to the council. He'd only been there for like three months. And it was just like, what kind of, and he basically turns to Storm and was like, what kind of credentials do you have to tell us what to do? And uh, she just looks over to him. And I don't remember what she said, but she's just like, when you have tenure with this council, maybe your opinion will matter or something like that. It was something super snarky and just like, excuse you, you have no say here. Let me talk to the people that I've actually worked with for 10 years and can are allowed to have an opinion. So they were basically like, we'll sit and think about it, give us some time. She's like, all right, that's fine. I'll, I'll be in the city. I'll be awaiting your answer. You know how to reach me. Because um, she still did side work for them, even though she didn't live there anymore. And at this point, they didn't know she was a solar because she kept it kind of close to the vest for the most part. I think they had hints that she was, but weren't positive. I can't remember exactly. They knew that they didn't know that you were a solar because Lookshy's spy network is not, not as good as mine. As, is not as good as yours. So anytime they sent spies over there, they kind of came back as like being found because Lookshy's not. Lookshy is not subtle. Yeah. At, least, at least in my interpre interpretation of Lokshai, yeah. they are not so. So at this point, they didn't know. So the council goes to sleep, and Storm's just like, fuck this. I'm going to convince them, no matter what I have to do. So, like I said, a darkness at noon lets you change the phase of the moon to whatever you want. Storm made, for three nights, the moon a full moon every single night. No, what? no, no. A darkness at noon, doesn't it let you just... Turn the city to night? At night, the moon is whatever phase you desire, while banished night leaves the sun overhead. Okay. And then, optionally, you may ensure that no lesser foe sleepers within the area will wake for anything less than severe physical injury or send them specific dreams. So, you can send them specific dreams. So, the storm's like, cool, it is going to be a full moon for three nights, and the specific dreams that you are going to get is what will happen to look shy should the realm invade and take over. So she sent them horrific dreams about realm-occupied Lookshy and how awful that would be because Lookshy decided not to, to side with Sunshade. Yep. And so it took about, I think it was the second night, or after the second night, the council um, called, called her in, and, were, and they look like they haven't slept at all. Some were worse than others, because I know some sa some failed their saves uh, the first night and kept having the dreams, because she didn't know who, who failed and who didn't, if it was affecting any of them or not. But yeah, after the second night, they call her and they're like, Oh, okay, we believe you. We're willing to support with Sunshade. Uh, you know, uh... And at this point, they know that you are some sort of thing that is not a dragon-blooded. Yes, because her, her whole family was before her generation and her parents were dragon before her parents generation were, yeah. were dragon blooded yep um and she's like you know i'll be in touch i have my people uh i'll be watching and then just basically the full moon appears outside behind them and she just walks out 
And that's how we got Lookshy on our side, because I'm a horrible person. And this helps out a lot for, like, four sessions, three sessions forward. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So that was, uh, that was, uh, Storm shenanigans in Lookshy. And then, like I said, she got information from her people about what was going on in Metagalapa. Uh, Wayward Son went and handled, uh, you know, uh, Great Forks. And then, uh... We go and deal with Vanileth, who we meet in Metagalapa. Right. Because I believe that someone saw, I believe that either Luminous Arrow or someone went to Vanileth. Vanileth is an incredibly, in, not insane god, but he's a quirky god who talks as fast as I possibly can because that's how Vanileth would talk because he's kind of a crazy person. Sure. And that's kind of how I get across, like, this person is a little bit... Unhinged? Uh, unhinged his entire portfolio is artificial flight he don't give a shit about birds fuck birds they know how to fly you know what's interesting dudes who figure out how to fly there are people who have figured out how to fly who like basically vanilla's entire thing in the north his entire workshop is full of weird fucking flying machines that people have made like, hey, there's some hang gliders, and there's some airships people have made. And then there's also a dude who made a fucking spinning top that rotated so fast that, like, basically it was a reverse helicopter that they had to stand on. It was basically a Beyblade, but through the air. And then there was also a guy who replaced his lower limbs with say, said Beyblade to fly and was just not happy about it. He's got a lot of quirky, weird inventions in there. I believe it. Well... We decided to impress him with a compressed air cannon that Percy ends up shooting himself out of. Yes. Uh, I think that might have been how Percy made it there. I don't remember. I know we just had it. I don't remember much about it because I think I, like, sat to the side you of You guys this. had originally made the compressed air cannon to uh, use during the parade in Metagalapa. Was it the same one? No, it wasn't the same one. It was a uh, more powerful version. That makes sense. Because he had to go through, uh, like, two miles worth of crags. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But he's a god-bound, so he just kind of... Or he's an exalted, so he just kind of hits the floor and just kind of skids and goes, Ow! Mm. I took three HP of damage. Oh, no. But I'm okay. Wayward ends up oathing uh, Vanilith into moving Mount Metagalapa safely to Sunshade for us. And we clear all so that we could clear all the people off of there and soup up Metagalapa as the directional titan that we it's had meant the, to be yeah so we cleared everybody up we put like a section in which, sunshade with all Metagalapa which hey if you're listening to this and for some reason have not listened to our other episodes, listen to the, I think the first or the second Metagalapa episode, you know what, just listen to both of them because they're a great great set of episodes about what Metagalapa is and also how not to introduce a potential ally to your uh, team. Storm's poor mother. Her poor, poor I'm never going to let any of you go on that as long as we have this podcast going. That they decided to, you know, say my mother is evil? Yes. I mean, she was an infernal, so fair that we all thought she was evil and had malintentions? Fair. But I'm still just never going to let it go. That's fine. It's going to be along the same page, along the same page as my uh, three pages of backstory. 
Ah, throw it in the fire. Yeah. So we get we we clear everybody off of there, make a little place in sunshade for you know the city's worth of people within the Metagalapa region. Yeah. <laughs> um. And we have a directional titan. Directional titans so are terrifying things that we... are basically <sighs> like the equivalent of. Uh, they're the equivalent of like having a fucking Death Star. And we also went through the Hundred Kingdoms to get allies for the upcoming fight. So we're just doing what we've been kind of doing, playing allies of the game. And that's actually the end of that session. Which was not even a page long, and somehow we've taken up a lot of time on it. To be fair, we were also we took ten minutes explaining Godbound. And two side stories that took a little while, too. Yep. Uh, so we, let's, let's see if we can get this one last session in here, and then maybe do like a couple questions real quick. So, the next session, Sunday, May 27th, 2018. We figure out that we need five dragon-blooded of each of the aspects for this wacky door unlocking. Unlocking. I'm gonna go with unlocking. That's not the word at all, but, um... Correct. Thing. The unlocking thing. Yeah, the unlocking. It's like flaws the flawning. The unlocking. And basically, we figure out how to infiltrate G-Bay. Percy goes to meet up with, uh, Superfly, also known as Plague of Trust. And Plague claims that he killed Seeker, but the corpse disappeared. Ooh. Ooh. That's relevant later. Uh, so Plague's boss says that there's um, this good job dropping the mountain on the monts under it. Plague said you... Uh, Pl Plague's boss... Plague specifically said that his boss said, hey, good job dropping the mountain on top of what was underneath of it. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Specifically... I was missing some words in that sentence there for sure. Specifically, um, so to get the directional titan, as that we know, uh, Mount Managalapa is a directional titan, but it has a mountain, it has an actual mountain with, like, land and everything on it, on top of it. Yeah, which we had to push off so we could get so the So you had to push off to get off of it. Well, to keep the directional titan, titan floating, it has to draw on the local essence lines. Which is why that beneath it, where there were no essence lines, there is a massive shadow, shadow land. land. Which underneath of Metagalapa is the main meeting chamber for all of the abyssals for the main beneath the waves. Oh no, what a shame. You guys basically wrecked their fucking manse. Whatever. I'm fine with that. For all intents and purposes. Well, we end up coming up to the western part of the city, and we see the Molluska pirates there catapulting people up. Yes. Which, if I remember correctly, I think that's what Rollo's shenanigans was, was going into the Molluska pirates for us. Yes. Yes, his shenanigans was getting the Molluska pirates on y'all's side. Also, if anybody cares, the western part of the city is the water side. Or the water for, like, the five elements for dragon-blooded. Um, the east side, on that side, there is a singular large man. Well-built dragon-blooded. Um, there's an older gentleman with a flamboyant suit. Oh, so the way that uh, you guys figured all this stuff out was because... The sun word. Uh, the Sun Word, and I think specifically Luminous Arrow, used uh, a thing where it's basically, Hey, has the sun touched this? Cool, I can see it. Yeah. 
If it if the sun is shining on it, we can look at it. Basically, instead of having to do actual like recon, you guys just use your new. We have super- a spy network for that. You guys so. just use your new super cool powers to just do recon. Yeah, basically, we just like cool. We're gonna use the sun site, which I think is the actual name for the gift. And we're just going to look at all these different places and see who's over there and break our groups up accordingly to go and deal with this. So, like I said, there's a singular large man who's well-built, young dragon-blooded. There's an older gentleman with a flamboyant suit and a younger gentleman who throws hats. Fuck you, Tepetsato. We knew you were still alive. Um, Also, Aria Speedwagon. Yes. So, let's see... We decided to break the teams up into Team Noisy and Team Stealthy. Because, let's be real, we have some people that are stealth and some people who are not. Yep. So Team Noisy was Wayward, Talisman, and Percival, who all decided to go to the south. In Team Stealth was uh, Luminous Arrow, Raldo, and Storm. And they'd go to the east. We do see that Tepet Sato disappears... And uh, Luminous Arrow is watching through his hawk that he has. We've come to find out that Sato is coming for our group alone. And Team Noisy meets up with Tepet Arata, who is aiming to shoot Talisman out of the sky because he's got that fucking um, exalt killing bullshit that he has weapon thing. Mm-hmm. Because we end up having fights, and I don't write a lot of notes on fights, I'm just going to give the Cliff Notes version of it. Uh, Tepetarada tries to use, I think it was a spear or something? Uh, It was uh, a spear. Yeah, Exalt Killing Spear. Talisman ends up getting her hands on it, and basically just starts, like, cracking the material that it's made of, and starts breaking this Exalt Killing Spear. And Percy, who has the command word, starts fucking over his army with it. And, like, I think he was taking control of parts of it and making them fight, like, other parts of it or something like that. In the long run, Arata just ends up surrendering, and Percy basically converts him over for now. Over to you guys' side, yeah. yeah. He uses a command uh, gift to... Yeah, it's, it's something where it's like you change the heart of an enemy to align with you, but I don't remember, like, how all that works with it. Yeah. Um, Basically, this is how they get a very high-level dragon-blooded fighter on their side. Mm-hmm. Well, Team Stealthy ends up going to fight Tepetsado and fucking murders him. So, yep. Like, three exalts versus, you know, Poor three, John- three solar exalts versus, you know... A dragon blooded. Poor Jonathan Joestar. He died the way he lived. Not well known because he barely got any screen time. <laughs> well, Storm being the vindictive asshole she is, takes uh, Tepetsado's arm that has the dragon breeding lines on it. She decides to take it to Diego to prove that they fucking murdered him. There you go. <laughs> yep. And, uh, yeah, we also find out randomly, I don't know why I give a crap, but it's written down on here, Tepetarada was Sky Sword in Command for his words. And, uh, that's actually that for that session. Which leaves us a good chunk of time to answer some questions. And then, uh... And then we're gonna have two sessions to finish off that entire notebook. Yeah. And it'll be... The next session where we start going around and fucking with the other sides. 
Um, and we head back to the city and deal with some other stuff that we find out about. And then after that would be the last session that we have with Godbound with John and Craig. And that's a, a calibration one. Okay. So, um... If you want to pull up those questions for us. I'm pulling them up right now. Because I think we talked about answering, like, two of them. I think it was one tabletop and one LARPing question. Um, that's how they broke down. Yeah. I, we could potentially get two of the tabletop ones because one of the ta- one of the LARP ones is super easy for me, at least. We'll see. Uh, let's just go with this. So, for the LARP question, the one that I'd like to do is, um... Do you prefer buffer weapons or foam latex weapons? Oh, yeah. I can answer that easy. Do you want to go first? No, I want to know what you want to say as you take the hookah out of my hand. Yeah, because yeah, I no, like I... to actually smoke a little bit. <laughs> I will talk a lot during these questions. All right. We'll see. We'll see how that works out. What do you prefer? Okay, so I generally prefer... Um, so it depends on the weapon. For daggers, I can go either way. Um, but that's also because that is the easiest thing for me to make personally on my own. Because uh, I don't need to, like, stretch the tape out along a long piece. I don't have to take into account length and everything like that. So shorter weapons are easier for me to make. Okay. Uh, so daggers, I don't have a preference either way. Uh, currently, for my LARP character, I use three um, three latex daggers, though. But one out of those three is my favorite because it's softer it's only a single edge the other one i have is very soft it's a double edge but i don't like the curvature of it and then i have another one that's a little bit harder that's the only problem i have with latex weapons is they can hit a lot harder depending on the uh brand that you get some companies are a lot better about it than others okay um the reason i like homemade ones for bigger weapons uh, if they're built properties, you have a little bit more of a customization. You can add more padding to it. Mm-hmm. So it just, it very much so comes down to what kind of weapon it is and who makes it. Because I have some friends that are great about making weapons and they feel fine. And I have some friends that, honestly, I wish they wouldn't make weapons because they don't look good um, and they don't feel good when you get hit with them. Are you talking about my street sign? Oh, that thing doesn't bother me at all. Okay, okay. I was talking about you, not you, looking you, you good. Remember, I was talking about not looking good. You just good. have to remember, I've, I've been LARPing since I was like 19, so 11 years now on and off. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of weapons uh, of both variety. So I think it just depends on me what, what weapon it is and who makes it, whether it's a person who makes it or a company that makes it. Okay. Um, but, I mean, my favorite LARP weapons are daggers, though, but... That's just me personally. So me personally, I prefer buffer weapons, and that is straight up because um, you can have them. You can make them cheaper. You can make them cheaper, and you can make them badly, and they still like do not hurt. A badly made latex weapon will fuck you up. I've seen some badly made buffer weapons that. do hurt. Okay, when I say make them badly, I mean make them correctly, but they look like shit. Okay. Um, but I feel that, uh, because I prefer to either make or help in the construction of my weapons, um, my weapons recently have been, uh, a collaborative effort between ourself and Nathan. Or between myself and Nathan, not ourself. I'm not multiple people. Well, that's true, and I also don't really help you guys with your weapons, so. Um. It's been a while since I've made a weapon, personally. 
but I hard prefer Bob Robbins. I do use a latex dagger that was gifted to me that I like, but one of the reasons that I prefer boffers is really just because I feel like that they're safer, and if someone spends the time on it, um, you can make something that is uniquely your own. Yeah. You can walk into game and... Because LARPing is a very visual medium. Yeah. It's just like, um, that's very distinctly Charlie's that, dagger. Look at the, like, blood re residue on it. Look at the skull on it. Hey, that is distinctly Charlie's sign. It's impossible not to see it because it is literally the only weapon in game that is a giant fucking sign. Yeah. I used to have uh, daggers for one of my old characters at Avalon that had uh, blood on the blade of it. So I just made it look like there was dried blood. And that was a thing to honor a particular thing in game um so my daggers were usually very distinct for that character Granted, right. i didn't really use daggers as that character but um so boffer weapons are just very customizable i guess you could say yeah i i think that that's my main love of boffer weapons unfortunately for latex weapons you need to have a lot of to customize it you have to either know someone who has all the gear to customize it or you have to have it. Like, there's no... Anyway, so, uh, next question, which is going to be a tabletop-related question, and this is going to probably be a very easy one for us. Okay. Uh, and I should probably mention that all these questions uh, coming up were sent in by our friend Jesse. Which we appreciate. Thanks, Jesse. We Jessie. really appreciate this. It means we're not constantly just talking about Exalted. Do you like to use miniatures or... Do you like to use miniatures or not when playing D&D &D or a similar system? You get to answer first this time. What? I said you get to answer first this time. Okay. Because I've worked um, longer than you, uh, but you've tabletop longer than I have. For D&D &D or similar systems, uh, technically I didn't really use them much in Godbound, which is technically a similar system to D&D. &D. Um... And that's mostly just because I was keeping with the Exalted flavor of it, which is Theater of the Mind. But for anything that's D&D &D or that specifically requires uh, placement and people that can benefit from placement... Oh, fuck yeah, you need to be using miniatures. Um, now, your definition of miniatures can change depending on the person. Uh, some people don't like to go through with it, so you might just have a bunch of D6s uh, standing on a not-well-constructed map. But... For systems like D&D and Pathfinder, I feel like it is almost necessary. Um, it's not entirely necessary, but it is one of those things where that it really helps. Um, because if you were to have a big combat where you had 30 guys coming at you... And 30 you drow 30 and dr some driders and spiders. Well, yeah, where you have a bunch of bullshit coming <laughs> at you. Not that we're talking from personal experience or anything. Um, It feels better to be able to see those hordes. And it feels great when you can take a piece off the board. For something like Exalted, though, or World of Darkness, I do not like using, um, I do not like using miniatures. I feel like that it actually takes away from things. I like setting up uh, things on the table to show here's here's what's going on and then describing it. But a lot of the games that I run are very theater of the mind as opposed to like 
you need a visual for it. I, I yeah, I pretty much agree with you on that. Um, things like World of Darkness and Exalted uh, cater very much to the theater mind versus having actual pieces on the board. And as long as your players are very and the DM are very much like, okay, well, how close am I to him? Or you kind of talk it out and figure it out and take the time to do that. You don't really need pieces to kind of show where you are. You can kind of figure it out. Um, for D&D and Pathfinder, I really don't like using pieces unless you actually need them. Like combat scenarios, yes. You definitely need some kind of, like, even if it's just a quickly little drawn paper map. Um... If you want to do something super epic and do, like, Dwarven Forge stuff, cool. That's great. You have the money and the time to do that? Kudos to you. Uh, but I think combat for D&D and Pathfinder uh, definitely works very well with miniatures and maps. If you're doing more RP things or social interactions or things like that, um, depending on the scenario, you don't really need a map. You can do just talking it out and describing everything. Um, but I think once you hit that combat, you definitely need something to visualize where everything is because a lot of Pathfinder and D&D is very... I, I can't speak as much on Pathfinder, but I know at least for D&D, like, spells have range. They ha You need to see where things are so you can place everything how you need to. Like, you're going to fire a fireball off. Obviously, like... You're going to want to get the most bang for your buck, but, oh, hey, there's an enemy, like, a friend's in the middle of there, and you didn't know about that, because if you don't have a map, you don't know they're in... They're in... Yeah, you don't know where the fuck they are. Yeah. So, I'm very similar in mindset on you for that. All right, so, and for our last question, it's going to be technically two here, kind of cheating a little bit, but when crafting NPCs or PCs... Do you start with picking a race and class and stats, or do you start with the character's personality and history, letting that decide the race and class? Okay, so I'm going to start us off with talking about making a player character, or with making a character. Um, generally speaking, it depends on the system that I am playing. Um, but assuming that we're talking, like, like, obviously not like World of Darkness, like, at that point, like, my race is a little bit less of a big deal. It still is a big deal and can affect other social situations, but basically it is, it's not statistically changing my stuff. But for like D&D, honestly, I kind of, I will, I won't pick races that are detrimental to what that I'm trying to make. If... There's a race out there, because I'm not super well-versed with D&D, but there's a race out there that uh, has a minus to Wisdom or a minus to Dex, I'm way less likely to play a Monk with them. Which is fair. If there's a race that is plus to Strength, I'm way more likely to play a Barbarian with them. Or a Fighter, if you're going or more Or a Fighter with a first... Yeah. For, for a Strength-based Fighter. I do not have as much experience with D&D to basically be like, oh, I do this and I'm going to play this weird class. Like, I'm going to play the orc wizard, even though orcs get, I don't know what fucking orcs get, but let's just say they get, like, minus two intelligence. And I know that intelligence is the fucking wizard stat. 
Yeah, artificers and wizards tend to use intelligence. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm not likely to do something like that because I want to... While that I'm totally down for playing a unique character, I'm also not down for gimping myself and, like, making my playing experience less for it because a lot of D&D revolves around combat. Mm-hmm. Like, literally all class, class abilities, for the most part, are, like, combat abilities. Like, or at least, at the very, mo- at the very least, 50% of class abilities are combat abilities. Yeah, it it. It is a combat heavy game. It, Why would I screw myself in combat? It depends on um, what class you're playing to. It does. You're right. It does depend on what class you're playing, and I only really have experience playing martial classes because I don't like the way that spells are done in D and D. I would literally rather have a mana pool instead of having. Um, I would rather have an MP pool that says, oh, you start with 100 MP or whatever, and each spell has this different cost, like in a fucking video game, than do the kind of casting that D&D does. I Where do you not... have the spell slots? Yeah, I don't enjoy spell slots. I do not. Okay. Uh, uh, that That's probably like a holdover from me playing uh, fucking Baldur's Gate and like... Neverwinter Nights as a kid, and just being like, why can't I just keep casting Fireball? What the fuck do you mean I'm out of spell slots? I don't understand this. I'm five. <laughs> because that's unfair, because then everybody can just cast Fireball all day, and that's boring. Right, but you don't understand this shit when you're five. Yeah, that's true. But, um, but as far as uh, PCs for other things, I generally let their background inform what that they're going to be. So, like, if I have the background of uh, my character was, say, a DJ, in, like a, a relatively popular DJ in, uh, in the local tri-state area, he might be, a, for Mage, he might be a virtual adept or a cult of ecstasy. Are we getting to Ferox now? No, no, no. Ferox is a burnout club kid. Okay. I, I've never played a DJ. Though that's a really cool concept that I might do if someone else runs a World of Darkness game. I think that might be pretty cool. I mean, I think I think Julia and I would be the only ones that probably run a World of Darkness campaign for like our group. But maybe I could convince someone else to. We'll see. I don't know. It'll be a thing that maybe come up later. Who knows? Um, but yeah, like I for 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 games where the uh, role play is a bigger focus. Not saying that in D and D role play is not a big focus, but in games where that literally your roleplay stats are a bigger focus and can help, depending on the campaign that everyone's running, I tend to let background inform what the character is going to be instead of vice versa. Okay, I can see that. So for me, when it comes to um, PCs, for things like uh, D&D and Pathfinder, I... So uh, for a long time, I had a habit of just filling whatever role needed to be filled, which usually had me be a healer, which was fine. I know how to build healers and D&Ds stupidly well now. Great. <laughs> um, but when I started being like, no, I want to play what I want to play, I uh, basically would be like, I want to play this class, because I've never played this class before, or I really like how this class functions. Uh, so I start off with the class for games like that, and then I look at 
you know, what do I want to do with this character? And what, like, do, do I want to be a noble? Um, do I want to be a street urchin? Do I want to just be a fucking musician and entertainer? Whatever. And then I kind of look at, okay, well, what, what race fits well with this? What helps with stats? What's thematically appropriate? Um, and that's kind of how I work with for PCs for, for games like that. Whereas for, um, like, World of Darkness and Exalted, I kind of go more with, what theme do I want to do? Uh, so, like, for Mage, I knew I wanted to play, like, a crafter, because I don't really ever get to play crafters. Like, the one time I got to play a crafter was for, uh, the, the Godbound one that Joe ran, where I played Ark. Mm-hmm. And I never really got to finish that arc. Uh, ha ha. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to play a crafter for for mage. And I really like prime. So that kind of fits really well. Okay, well, what fits really well with, 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 ma- with uh, like crafty? Okay, matter's really neat and things like that. And I just kind of built from there. And I was like, okay, well, what what do I want her personality to be like? You know, I don't ever really play a hyperactive character. Uh, I usually play more, like, subdued characters. So, let's see. what. Let me look at these merits and flaws and see what's good in there. Oh, addiction, caffeine, done. So I just kind of built it like that. Same with our uh, our werewolf game. I knew I wanted to do a more spiritual, like, Umbra-based character. So I took that and kind of made stuff that worked really well with that. So for games that are more, that tend to be more like World of Darkness or Exalted, I was like, I know the concept I want, and then I just kind of fill everything else in around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that, that's how you make PCs. Yeah. So the way that I make NPCs varies from from system to system. Um, for for something like D and D, Pathfinder, that kind of stuff, I generally just have a generic stat block. It's whatever basically um they've got a name they've got a job here here's the town barkeep here's the town uh blacksmith blah 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 they don't necessarily have to have stats unless of course the group tries to like attack them like it's not that big of a deal for making npcs for D, in my opinion because NPCs in D&D can just be whatever. I try to give them a good... It's not that they can just be whatever. whatever. Now, are you talking about, like, generic I'm talking about... Right now, I'm talking about generic NPCs. Okay, okay. Um, I try to give a good spread of, like, this town is mostly human with a little bit of a half-elf base, a small elf base, and uh, maybe there's some half-orcs and maybe, like, a gnome or two. Like, I try to give, like, a good spread. For here's your gen pop. Yeah, here's your general population. For um, really like actually named NPCs, things that are important, I tend to like look a little bit deeper into like the background of the area, and kind of, and I, I will give them like generic stats. I might even give them like a level or two in something, so they're not just pushovers, especially like early on in the campaign. And obviously for creating uh, antagonists, I give them entire fucking character sheets. Yeah, they If I don't... 
And, a, and those are I, the real people of the story. <laughs> yeah, those are the real people of the story for me. And if I don't give them, or for uh, allies, yeah. I will give allies actual uh, character sheets. Because but they're going to be reoccurring and they need to actually focus. But for antagonists, I tend to break the rules. Like, I will give them, it's like, you've got this many levels and this, this, and this. And yeah, everybody else is at level 5, but you're technically at level 15, but you have, like, weird rules to you. Like, one of the things I recall doing was uh, gestalting in uh, in Pathfinder. Are you familiar with that term? I have heard it before, but I can't so, think of what it is at the moment. So, gestalting in Pathfinder means that you go, hey... I'm playing a fighter rogue. Okay. And every time that I level up, if I go from level one to level two, I level up as a fighter and as a rogue, and I take the best of both worlds. Mm, okay. So if they have a... So you will always take the higher of the reflex saves. You will always take the higher of the, of the fortitude saves. You will always take the higher of the spirit saves. Um... You will always take the higher of the attack bonuses. Oh, that reminds me. Uh, well, you know what? Never mind. It's not important. I was just gonna say that the the saves that we said earlier for Godbound weren't the same. It was it's hardiness, evasion, and spirit, not uh, right fortitude, reflex, and will. So that's one of the things that I would do. But generally, because I all for until very recently, I almost always ran with like an eight to eleven player group. I mean, our group's pretty big right Our group's now like seven people i mean that's still bigger than all than some groups play like most people well i'm not gonna say most people a lot of groups will play with like maybe five peeps yeah no my I, i've always run with like almost in the double digits every time so i had to be like double gestalting things yeah because and like giving them extra more, turns because they're more, boss monsters more people means more damage that can be right set onto your your bosses and everything like that so it makes sense right um, now for, uh, for, for NPCs for World of Darkness, I do something that I think is very interesting. Okay. So, obviously you've got your major NPCs, uh, your, or your antagonists. Uh, so like in this case, you, you pick like the Chantry leaders. Yeah. From, uh, fr from, from our mage game. Mm -hmm. They're a weird, eclectic bunch of fucking weirdos that should not get along. True. You, you've got a club kid burnout cult of ecstasy. You've got a verbena running the uh, running the the the, the occult, cover <laughs> running the cover shop. You've got a Catholic knight down there watching over Tony, trying to make sure he doesn't summon demons because if he and does, an he's, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, an old like nineteen thirties like um, serial adventurer. Um, you've got... Who still needs a kickstand. Who still needs a kickstand. You've got the, the fucking gangster boy, uh, Joey Wheeler. I love Wheeler. I don't know what you're talking about. He's great. Um, you've got Tab, who's fucking just a weird fuck... Who is literally just me trying to emulate, uh, goggle boy culture from Tad Williams' The Other Land. Um, you've got just all these fucking weirdos just in one fucking place. And they're all characters that I've at one point or another used. Um, but, like, then you've got, like, the antagonists. And, like, the antagonists, I specifically sit down and I think about what is their motivation? What are they doing? And, like, sometimes it's as simple as 
I'm John Smith, the owner, proprietor, and legal owner of this, uh, of, I of, of this place. I just listened to that last night, too, which is the funny thing. And, like, they're just fucking wackadoo bullshit, like, crazy. And then you've got people like Mr. Brightness and Jacob. Fuck Mr. Brightness and Jacob and Artie and, and all and, of them. And, and, all, and, uh, Victor Montork and, not Victor, um... Victor? Victor was one of them, yeah. Yeah, no, it might be Victor Montork. Then. And then um, Wisp. And then Wisp. And then, Wisp. and then and then uh, Punch God. And, like, all these weirdos who kind of, like... Okay, uh, like, Wisp is um, a specific thing that I'm not going to say. That's because fine. It's, because it's spoilers. But, like, because they are a specific thing... Mm-hmm. They, it, it, like, makes sense in their thing. And then, like, Punch God, he's clearly a Bruja. He is a Bruja enforcer. Because he's Punch God. Yeah, no. And he punched good. Oh, my God. And then Victor Montork is clearly, very clearly a Ventru. I hate Ventru. He dresses fancy. He drinks off of things. He, he dominates people. Tries to dominate people. He dominates people. I try. I resisted. Fuck him. <laughs> Regardless. Like, basically, like, I give them all their very unique thing. For the next cast of characters, the people who have names and might have interesting things to do for for it, I kind of tend to do a little bit of a random... Like, basically what that I'll do is I will do... I will literally, for World of Darkness at least, I will look into the population density of the local area. Yeah, because it's, it's set in... Because it's set, know, in, set in the real time. world. So, like, you're in Massachusetts, in, specifically in the Salem, Boston area. What is the... Demographic? Demographic of, I think like... the word you've been trying to look for. Yeah, the demo, what is the demographic of, like, hey, here's Caucasian people, here's African American people, here's uh, Asian people, here's, uh, here's blah, 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 blah. And, like, I will try to have, like... A very well represented demographic, and I'll also like in doing so. I'll also look at like age ranges and weight ranges and height ranges. So you, you so want to make it realistic. Yeah, I want to make it realistic. So then, not everyone is Brendan height, Brendan weight, and like Brendan level of I don't see the fucking sun and I'm pale. Yeah, doesn't work anymore now that I'm not working the night shift. But it's true. I mean, we live the night, but we don't at the same time. But yeah, no, that that's my thing. And then I will also kind of do that for when you guys encounter like a random NPC that I could not have planned for. Basically, what I'll do is I'll just be like, uh, give me a moment. And then I'll go look at my notes and I'll roll some dice and I'll be like, okay, random this, char- this character is male uh, yeah, basically go to a random generator. This character is male, uh, 5'6", but is overweight. Yeah. Or is underweight, is noticeably underweight. Like, I wanna, I wanna make them, you, if you guys randomly decide to talk to a character, like you guys talking to the, the fucking intern and, like, forcing him to eat the people burger, like, I wanna make them, like, I wanna make them as unique as a unexpected NPC can be unique. Yeah. I want to fill the world with things that are believable. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. So as, as far as NPCs for other settings, like 
Pathfinder and D&D basically do the same thing is my suggestion. I mean, so it's a little weird for me because I just gonna be starting to DM in like two weeks. Uh, so I've been working on making NPCs. And uh, I haven't really made NPCs before outside of like doing it for LARP. Where it's like, cool, here's your goals to go and do. do fulfill them however you need to. Like, here's the things that we want you to... Here are the notes we want you to hit. Here's the personality we want you to hit. Or I might just get... You're just going out to do this. You are this thing. You're trying to get this. And I may or may not know what for. And go and do it. Like, mm-hmm. what this last event. You are a hobo who's going out to get this stuff because of this. And it's like, okay, cool. I can do that. And I feel like that I feel like that uh just throw words at a at a dartboard is also uh not to throw them under the bus, but like I think that's almost Jake's way of making characters. I, I think he does that with names too. Yeah. It's just like I like this. I'm just going to throw this at a magazine and then a globe and then another thing. But um yeah. So, like, for me making NPCs right now for the campaign to be named, because I literally haven't named it yet, because no name seems appropriate for it at the moment. I mean, um, you don't have to get a name for it until we start posting it. That's true. Um, so, I have, like, you'll have some random NPCs you'll run into, because of course you will. Um, some of the NPCs are pcs that i have either played before so i already know how their personality their stats their mindset and stuff like that works you're you're also coming off of uh their pcs are their npcs that friends that i've been in campaigns with have done as their pcs so again i know how the character you're also coming off of uh using an established canon not that i'm not doing that with mage there's totally a very uh extensive canon that we mentioned in the mage behind the scenes yeah Pair of Dice Lost Extended Universe, I think Julia called it. I think that's what we're going with at yeah. this point. But yeah, for my campaign, it's based 50 years in the future of campaigns that uh, an old DM of mine, uh, Chris, ran. We, so we ran, like, dra- the... I can't think of all the names of them, but it's, like, the Mines of, like, Philan- Philanen or Philandria. something. Philandria. Something like that. I don't know. And, uh, like... The Dragon Queen's Horde, and the Rise of Tiamat, and then, like, he ran a, a uh, Underdark campaign where we fucking took down Loth. Like, it's 50 years after this, so, but, and, like, some of the characters in there are pulled from other games. Like, we did a, uh, he did an Ireland Fae campaign, mm-hmm. so, like, characters are pulled from there, and they're all bought in there. And it's just, it makes it easier for me with having not run a campaign before, because I know how those characters function, I know their goals, like, what they would be doing right now. And if I don't, I can literally talk to the people who used to play those characters and be like, so this is what I'm thinking, you know, um, tell me a little bit, like, what your character will be doing in 50 years. And it's something I can go off of, and I can incorporate or I don't. If I don't, whatever, that's fine. Um, and then I've got some characters that I'm literally making up as NPCs that I've never played before, but it's a concept that I wanted to do. Right. And I'm testing it out. And, like, for for certain things, like, this person that you guys are going to interact with, I have certain things that they would like to get done with interacting with you guys. They may or may not, depending on decisions made. 
but they have a particular build, they have a particular race, they have particular things. The the main, like some of the bosses I already have set up, whether you guys actually interact with them with how I think you might, we'll see, who knows. I have a skeletal frame written out and you guys are either going to break some bones or you're going to follow along the curvature, who the fuck knows. Right. Uh, I have an end game for it and we'll see... You know, how that goes when you guys get to it. Whether it's going to be really hard or really easy. Who the fuck knows? But right. I'm just kind of making NPCs up as I need them. And filling them in. And taking some PCs that have existed before. And kind of filling them in. Just to make it a little bit easier for me. So I don't really have a set thing. And I, like I said, it's the first time I'm running. So we'll see how it goes in the long run. Yep. So, those were our three questions for tonight. Um, like three and a half, really? Uh, well, technically four. Let's go with four. Yeah. Let's go through to four, at least with that last one. Uh, we've got another four to get through. Hopefully that'll get us another uh, two episodes worth, because the other four are really good, but we have to sit down and think about them. Yeah, it's it's one of those things of, Brendan was reading them out, I was like, ooh, there's... Oh, there's, there's a, a lot of history all, that I have a, to, like, sit and file through and try and remember to figure out actual answers to those questions. There's also at least one that I would like Julia here to answer Yeah, because it's something that all three of us, even though it was technically addressed to the two of us, something all three of us could answer. Yep. So, uh, thank you for thank you guys for making it this far through the podcast. Uh, we really hope you enjoyed it. Um Please like, subscribe, download, comment. Um, if you're listening to us on iTunes, a five-star review will always help us get uh, get out to more people. If you're listening to us on Spotify, which we're totally on, um, I don't know, give us a follow and just listen to us on Spotify. You know, it's good for your daily commute or whatever. Yeah, I have an hour commute every morning, so it's just nice to pop stuff on. Yep. Tell your friends. Spread the good word of A Paradise Lost. Feel free to send in questions. Like, we've only got four more left. I like answering questions. I... It's really fun. It it breaks up the... I don't want to say the monotony of this, but at the rate that we've been going with this campaign, we are going to finish very soon. And then this weekly podcast is going to need some fucking content. Yeah, we're still figuring that out because we... We've been talking about how much longer we think we're going to go, and we're almost through the first book, the first notebook, and then I've got, I think, at least half of another 80-page notebook or 60-page notebook. Yeah, and this through. is only episode 17, so, yeah. like... So we've got a couple more months to go, foreseeably, because there's a lot to do for the next ones, because I actually get much more intense with my note-taking once we do this, the time skip. Yep. Um, But we like questions, we like... Just answering them and talking hey, about Hey, if you have any suggestions for what we should start doing once Exalted is done, send them in to aparadiselost at gmail.com. Yeah, we're thinking about maybe reviewing vo board games, video games. Um, we've talked about even, like, trying to come up with characters and throwing down some scenarios and some crazies. But we're open to suggestions, stuff that you guys would like to hear us talk about, as long as, you know, you like hearing us talk, which still amazes me sometimes. Right. So, anyway, for Paradise Lost Podcasting Channel, my name is Brendan. I've been Christina. And always remember to let the good dice roll.